Like Asa said, Glenn is uh, on his way to Iowa, and uh, his mother-in-law will be soon to be with Jesus, and so you're stuck with me, all right? So uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we are continuing our series. We've got two more messages in what we call our mission strategy, and really uh, what we want to do is we want to do everything uh, to the glory of God primarily, but then we also want to base our ministry on the Word of God, and so we are going to talk this morning uh, about the Word of God, uh, specifically growing out. We've talked already about growing up in our relationship with God, um, which we call worship. That's having a personal relationship with Jesus uh, that's fed out of an overflow of what Christ has done for us. We talked about loving God, thinking correctly about Him, uh, living obediently for Him, and feeling passionately about Him as well. And then we also talked last week um, about growing deep in our relationships with one another. The gospel um, not only brings us into a right relationship with God, but brings us into a right relationship with others. And so we are part of a church family. Those of you who are members of Heritage are part of that family. And then those of you who are followers of Jesus, we're part of the larger family, the family of God. Uh, and then today we're going to be talking about growing out, which is our relationship in the ministry um, to the world. Um, how do we uh, influence our world for Jesus Christ? Some people talk about that as outreach or evangelism. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you need a Bible, uh, we want you to grab a copy of the scriptures. Uh, you can turn, um, there's a Bible in the chair rack in front of you. Uh, and in that Bible, it's page 805. We want you to know that what we're saying is what God is saying. Uh, you guys sacrificed an early morning uh, not to hear me talk, but to hear God talk. And so we want to make sure that everything we say comes from the scripture. And so we're going to be there um, in just a minute. But you may be thinking evangelism, oh man, that's, oh, uh, I, don't, I don't do evangelism, I don't like evangelism. Maybe that's one of the uh, spiritual disciplines or the commands of Christ that you're like, yeah, I get going to church, I get praying, you know, I get reading my Bible, but now you're talking about me sharing my faith and sharing what God has done, and we're kind of going into that territory um, and so you may be like that today. You may be feeling like, okay, um, you may be actually like this picture. You may think that evangelism is the worst job in the world. All right. Um, and I want to tell you through scripture that evangelism is not the worst job in the world. It's actually a great privilege uh, when we understand it. And so we are going to talk about that this morning. But the reason that we have the Bible, the reason that we have God is that because relationships are messy, right? If you think about a time where um, maybe you've had um, an opportunity um, where you've wronged someone and your relationship with that person, let's just say, is strained, right? Or maybe you can think about a time when you wronged someone by something that, you're, that you did and your relationship with them was strained. And so you're kind of in this like, something's not right. Well, relationships are messy because people are messy, Right? I mean, we can all agree with that. You don't need to think too long or too far that um, you, um, that for that to be true for you. And the Bible talks about that. And the Bible talks about the reasons and the source of that is our conflict, which is the sin within us. It's our evil desires giving birth. James talks about that. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not the evil desires within you? And the Bible talks about that sin within us. So we all need to be restored to a friendship and a harmony with one another, but that's just a symptom or that's just a shadow of the fact that we need to be restored to God, that we need to be restored to God. We need to be reconciled to God. Webster's Dictionary uh, 
says reconciliation is to be restored to friendship or harmony. Not talking about the justification of God or God declaring us righteous, but this is more of the, the relational aspect with our relationship with God. And so the Bible talks about how we can be reconciled to God to be restored to a friendship or harmony with God and then as a result of others. But we're not just, when God just does something, he doesn't just do it like, you know, that's, that's good. He goes above and beyond. And so what he does is not only restore our relationship with him, that fuels our relationship with other people, but he also gives us the great and awesome privilege to share the good news of the gospel, to evangelize, to outreach, to grow out in our relationship with the world. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read that before we get there. Let me just give you a brief context. Paul, this is the second letter that Paul has wrote. If you remember our series in 1 Corinthians, we talked about that. But he's talking about uh, the God of all comfort in chapter 2. Um, and that's a great, if you're struggling or you're going through uh, just a trials, chapter 1 in 2 Corinthians is, is a really a great. God is the God of all compassion and all comfort. I would encourage you to read that. Then Paul talks about to the Corinthians and really why he changes his plans and kind of works through how do we respond to when God uh, directs our, our path. And he talks about in chapter 2 the forgiveness of, a, of, of the sinner, talking about the church discipline and how uh, discipline was meant to lead them to repentance, and it did, but he's like, make sure you reaffirm your love for that brother so he doesn't become overwhelmed with sorrow. Then he talks about ministers of the new covenant or really what the law did for us in, in seeing our need for Christ, the new covenant that God dwells within us with grace and how that affects the, our lives. We're an aroma, Paul says, of Christ among those who are being saved in verse 15. Then chapter 3, he goes into talking about the glory of that, more of that new covenant, that, uh, that power of God within us, like Asa said, the spirit of God. And talks about that in chapter 4, we have that treasure. We have this amazing covenant. We have the, the Lord himself within us in jars of clay. And jars of clay are broken and they're cracked. But those brokenness and those cracks are there to reveal the treasure that we have within us. And he transitions to that to talk about our heavenly dwelling. Although we have a body that's outwardly wasting away, he says inwardly we're being renewed. And he talks about that as we gaze or we contemplate the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And he says in verse 5, which we'll, we'll pick it up here. Now we know that if our earthly tent, talking about his body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and we're burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with the heavenly dwelling, the, the spiritual body in heaven, so that which is mortal or physical may be swallowed up by life. Now it's God who made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee of what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. But we are confident. I say, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. And he says this, we must all be appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one of you may receive what is due him for the good things well done in the body, whether good or bad. 
the reality is that one day when we die, we will stand before the Lord Jesus. And we can stand before him as his enemy, unreconciled, and be judged for the sin that we've committed, or we'll stand before him as sons and daughters and children who have been reconciled by Jesus Christ. And that's the second judgment he's talking about. That's the second standing before the Lord. And so talk about whether whatever is due him, whether in the body, whether good or bad, it's not evil, but it's the things that are useless. So if God saved us and we're supposed to live our life for him, he's going to say, how did you use that life for my glory? This is kind of where we'll, give, we'll cast the crowns to Jesus. And then we talk about our passage today in verse 11, the ministry of reconciliation. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain by your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but to give you reason and opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but to him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the message of reconciliation in that God was reconciling, reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God who made him, talking about Christ, God who made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray and we'll work through this passage this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to uh, get down into the depths of our hearts. Lord, thank you that your word is profitable. It's God-breathed. It's, it's your literal words. It's profitable for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness so that we may be fully equipped for every good work. So this morning, I ask that you would use your word and your spirit to do what it needs to do in our hearts and lives today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've got two messages to preach. I'll give you the first one, and then we'll get into the one that I, I want to preach here. So the first one, chapter 11. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. We try to persuade men. Fearing the Lord is, is not a fear of an emotion because we're scared of what he's going to do to us. The fear of the Lord is an awe or reverence. It's, it's giving someone the, the respect and awe that they deserve. I was thinking about, okay, how do we illustrate this? A, f a fire, right? A campfire. You just, you look at it and you, you stare at it and, and it's awe-inspiring. It's, it's alive, it's moving, right? And, and so when it's in a fire pit or when it's in, uh, you know, on a marshmallow roasting 
uh, table, right? It's good. You, you enjoy looking at it. But you don't want to be looking at a fire when it's surrounding you. There's an awe. There's a, there's a, a sense of respect. So knowing the fear of the Lord, it's absolute certainty that one day we would stand before the judgment seat of Christ and that stimulated a holy awe and reverence for God that served as a motivation to minister with integrity. It's not fear of punishment, but awe, like I said. It's, uh, it's like um, when uh, we get the phone call and my grandma was on the phone and she was go- coming over in 15 minutes. And then my parents put down the phone and then it's slow motion and you're like, Grandma's coming. <laughs> and all chaos ensues and you're like, quick, shove the dirty clothes under the bed. Quick, clean the counters, right? Make sure the bathroom smells right. You know, not because we're fearing that Grandma's going to come in with the rod and, and beat us, but because there's an awe and reverence that Grandma's coming and we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. We were in awe of Grandma. Not in fear of grandma. Right? And so we're thinking through, we're thinking the awe of God, the the fear of God. And Paul says, knowing what that is, we persuade men. It's the biblical grid through which we should filter every thought, word, deed in our life, in the rest of our life, in the future of the awe of God that we will stand before him one day. That's why Paul says, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. So do we have this fear or awe and reverence of the Lord? Do we live with this constant mindset? And how would our actions be different if we had this mindset? But then Paul goes on to explain himself, or rather to prove the Corinthians why he's doing this. So there are some false teachers in Corinth that are, are like um, poking at Paul. And they're saying, this guy's crazy. You know, don't listen to him. He, he doesn't know what he's saying. And they're, um, they're trying to dissuade uh, the Corinthians. And so Paul is telling them, hey, listen, if, if, if some are judging us by external circumstances, if they're taking pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart, we want to explain that to you so that you have an answer for them. In verse 13, he says, if we are out of our mind or, or crazy, it's for the sake of God. And if we're in our right mind, it is for you. Sometimes if we're living in awe and fear and reverence of the Lord, we may, our sanity may be questioned. Why are you doing that? Are you, are you going to celebrate, this is personally for us, are you going to celebrate Halloween? No. Why? You're crazy. You go to church every morning on Sunday? Ah, oh, you're crazy. You devote your life to the Lord Jesus, oh man, you're insane. And Paul is explaining why he's doing the things that we're doing. And this is what he says, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. Or your translation may say, constrain. The idea of this word is to provide an impulse for some activity. Or to hold in bounds as so to manage or guide. It directs, it controls, it constrains, it gives us parameters for what we do and how we live our life. And it provides that, okay, when I respond, this is the, the, the love of Christ comes out. The love of Christ compels me. 
And Paul's saying, this love compels me to do what I do. And he he goes on and says, why? Why does it compel me? Because he's convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He's convinced that Jesus Christ died. And therefore we all died. And then he says, and he died for all, verse 15, so that those who live should continue to live for themselves. No. No. He says, those who live may should no longer live for themselves, but for who? But for Christ. But for him. Who what? Who died for them, for you, for us. And he didn't just stay dead. We don't serve a dead Savior. We don't serve some deity that's stuck in the ground or stuck in the tomb. We serve a God who is alive. That we will stand before him one day and we will see him. If you're over the age of maybe 31, we serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. But he's convinced, he's convinced that Christ died and raised him as a, again. And then he says, okay, that love that compelled him, that being convinced, not just an intellectual sense, like I know Jesus died, but that, that belief that, that changed how Paul lived radically transformed his heart and his life. And what it did is we see that it changed our point of view. Verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Before Christ, when we were living for ourselves, we would, I would live and see people as a means to an end. What can that person do for me? I really need that promotion, so I'm going to butter up that boss. I really need that that girl to say yes to dating me, so I'm going to give her two dozen roses on Valentine's Day and say, hey, there's more where that came from. <laughs> Maybe it's, you know, we look at our kids as, as a way that we can live our lives through our, our kids because they did everything else. They, I want them to have a better experience than I did growing up. And he says we, we regarded Christ that way as well. And how do you regard Christ from a worldly point of view? Well, you, you don't Recognize and see him as the one who died and gave himself up for you. Maybe you don't see him at all. Maybe God is just some guy up in the clouds that, you know, gives you good things and then makes life terrible when you do bad things. Or maybe you look at God as, hey, I'm gonna, I see God to just check my spiritual box. I'm just going to, that's going to, you know, give me some sense of satisfaction. He's like, we no longer see people from that point of view. We no longer see Christ in that way. He says, we do so no longer. There's a change. We used to, to view people and view God that way, and we don't now. And then he goes on to explain why. Therefore, since because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's new. He's been made new. I don't default to that way of thinking. I don't default to my sinful lifestyle because God has made me new. 
The old is gone. Behold or look at or focus on the new. Some of us, when we think about our life before Christ, we're ashamed, rightly so. We may still be carrying some of that guilt of, of all the things that we did to, to God and to other people. It's those things that we carry deep in, in our soul that, you know, if that were to come out in our, in our lives, that would just be utterly terrifying. If we were left to what we were, we would be laying in a ditch somewhere, spending eternity away from God and everything good in hell. And that would be justice. That would be justice. But Paul's saying if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. We have been changed and transformed. All right, and here's the, the message. That was the pre-message. Here's the message. <laughs> the ministry of reconciliation. I want to give you the source of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation, the agents of reconciliation, and the means of reconciliation. The source of reconciliation, verse 18. All this is from God. God is the source of our reconciliation, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Do you know that we're not in that, that section? Our good works aren't in that section. The only thing that's in that section is God in Christ. He is the source. And the means in which he provided reconciliation was through Jesus Christ. And as a result, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the message of reconciliation. So God is the source of our reconciliation, and he's given us the message of the reconciliation, which is this. That God was reconciling the world to himself. God was re restoring relationship with the world to himself through Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. Not counting our sins against them. If God counted our sins against us, we, would, we should be terrified. Because it would be just. He says, not counting men's sins against them. God is able to not count our sins against him because he counted our sins and put them on our Savior. On the cross, our sins were nailed there. And it says, and he's committed to us, he's given to us, he's presented us as stewards the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Though Christ were making his appeal through us, the agents of reconciliation, God makes us the agents of reconciliation because we ourselves have been reconciled. 
we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As those God were making his appeal through us. The, the language here is we are Christ's ambassadors, although God was, was begging. Not that he needs us, but he loves us and wants us to be reconciled to himself. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you are here today and you have not been reconciled to God, if your sins have not been forgiven by Jesus Christ, if you've not believed in the person and work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, God is making his appeal through Paul, through his word, and through me. Be reconciled to God. Please be reconciled to God. Because God has made it possible for you to be reconciled to him. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Because we've been reconciled, we are Christ's ambassadors. We don't get to choose to be ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. You guys know what an ambassador is? Lives in a different country representing the policy and the words of the one that they represent. God calls us his ambassadors. Now we can choose to work effectively with that, that title or that purpose. But we are, regardless, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been reconciled to God, you are by nature an ambassador for him. And then the means of this reconciliation. How does this come about? Verse 21. God made him, Christ, who had no sin. He was perfect. He was the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb. Perfect sacrifice. Made sin for us or to be the sin offering the, was the, the place for our sin. So as a result, that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And some call this the great exchange. God took our sin off of us and put it on Christ and took Christ's perfective righteousness and put that on us. And he did that through the cross. That is the means of reconciliation. Through Christ, perfect sinless one, dying in our place for our sin. So in order to effectively be an ambassador for Christ, we need to remember and know that we've been reconciled ourselves. I think our direct proportionate for our love, for sharing the gospel, comes from the love of the gospel in our own lives for ourselves. So then, Paul says in 11, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. It's a lot easy to persuade people with things that you're already persuaded with, right? Hey, you got to go to Bailey's in Dalton on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday morning because their bacon chive scone is fantastic. I'm convinced. I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded, right? What we are persuaded by, what we, we love, comes out in what we talk about. Jesus illustrates this point in, in Matthew. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we worship comes out with what we say. And so it's easy to persuade people 
with something that we know and believe ourselves, that we've been convinced of. So I would encourage you to gaze on the beauty of the Lord Jesus. If you go to chapter 3, verses, I'll start in 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Talking about the freedom from the old covenant or the old law. He says, we who with unveiled faces see and reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. As we gaze upon the Lord, as we gaze upon his character and his goodness, as we gaze upon his word and how he's revealed himself to us, we are changed and transformed into his likeness. Ever increasing glory. It's ongoing. So you may be struggling with, oh man, I, I, don't, I, I can't evangelize. It, it's so hard. I, I don't know what to do. Start with looking to Jesus. Gazing upon him. Thinking through. We celebrate communion. We're going to do that next week. Where we just ponder and we remember the Lord's sacrifice for us. Gaze upon Jesus and be transformed into his likeness. So what does this mean for us? What do, what do we need to do? Well, since we've been reconciled and God gave us this ministry as a result of being reconciled, because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade others. And here's where we get to our outreach strategy. Pray. Pray. By name for people without Jesus. Why pray? Why should we pray? 1 Corinthians 5.18, the source of our reconciliation. Verse 18, all this is from God, who is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. God is the source of our reconciliation. God initiates reconciliation. God has provided salvation. God is the one who does the saving. God's plan, Jesus' sacrifice, Holy Spirit's enablement and empowerment, seal. It's God. We don't do it. We can't convince someone. We can share and we can persuade them as much as we are able to, but he's the one that has to open our eyes. He's the one, as Jesus says, the Father draws them. All we can do is be an ambassador because he did it. So that takes a lot of the pressure off. We don't have to say the right thing. We don't have to get it all right. Their salvation, the people that we love and that we're building relationships with, their eternal destiny is not dependent upon what I say. Whew, man. I can take my outline and put it in my pocket, you know. I'm just kidding. You need to be prepared. You need to know the Bible. But it takes the pressure off. So we pray and ask God to do only what he can do. And why else do we pray? 1 Corinthians 5, 16. Because we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
We used to regard them in the old way, but now we don't. And so we see them differently. We see them as people that can be reconciled to God. The boss that we're seeing to get our own selfish ways or the source of our irritation become, now becomes the person that we like, man, he needs Jesus. He needs to be reconciled to God. He needs hope. He needs eternal life. The coworker that drives us bonkers. They need Jesus. They need the Lord. They need what the gospel provides. So we pray because we, we see them differently. We, we don't just see people as passing us by in the mall or driving down the road. We see them as people created in God's images, as God's image, who have souls that are eternal that will one day stand before the Lord. And we have the opportunity to pray for them. So here's a question. Do you have at least one person you're regularly praying that God would save? Do you have that one person at least? I mean, if we were going to pray for all the people that we need to become saved, we'd have a 24-hour prayer meeting. 24-hour, 365, right? We'd be on our knees. We'd have the ripped in, in the, in the, right, around the knees. I would encourage you. We've, we did an initiative called Who's Your One? Thinking about one person that you just want to pray for, invest in, and invite. Who's that one person? If you don't have one, I would encourage you to to make a commitment to the Lord to, to pray for them. Because God is reconciling the world to himself. Two, we invest time in people without Jesus. We're Christ's ambassadors, right? Ambassadors spend time in the country that they're assigned. The ambassador, I don't know who it was, to Ireland. I was looking it up the other day. I don't remember his name. But he lived in Ireland. U.S. ambassador lives in Ireland, right? They spend time there. They're among the people. They walk around. They go to the same restaurants. They go to the same car washes. They go to the same golf courses. They invest time with people. We are ambassadors among the people in which God has given us the message of reconciliation. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 9, Though I am free, I belong to no one. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under the law of Christ, so as to win those that don't have the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And Paul's saying, I'm not winning them. He's just saying here that it's what Christ does, but he's trying to, to have God save them. So he, he sacrificed his time. He reorganized his schedule. He gave up his preferences so that he could win or have the possibility to win some for Christ. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes saying no to Scott and yes to someone else. 
It's Paul in Philippians 2, not thinking about my own interest, but also the interests of others. So who are we investing in? Who are we investing in? And how are we investing in them? Are we having them into our homes? Are we taking them for coffee? Are we hearing what, what's going on in their life? Praying for opportunities to, to share our faith? Are we uh, having Bible studies with them? Are we inviting them to church? Are we inviting them to go see Jesus Revolution at the Cinemark Theater? There are so many ways that God has given us to invest. And we're ambassadors. And we have the message of reconciliation and we ourselves have been reconciled. And then invite. Invite people to become followers of Jesus. Again, all we can do is we can invite them into a relationship with God that he provided. Are we asking people as we're spending time with them, it's like, hey, are you ready to trust Christ? Are you ready to not live for yourself, but for him who died and gave himself for you? Maybe before that, you're just inviting them to a Bible study. Hey, let's, let's read what God has to say. I think that's the most effective and easy ways to evangelize people. Let's just read the Bible. It's God's words. God works through that. And we're just reading it with them and answering questions. So we invite people to become followers of Jesus. She's like, okay, I understand that I've been reconciled. I understand how I can pray for someone. I understand how I can invest time in people and invite them to become a follower of Jesus. I get that. I get that. I know it's going to be sacrifice. Man, that's, that's hard. That's hard. I got, I got lunch plans at Perkins at 12. I got to go to Pizza Lovin' on Friday night. I, I got I to go to my, my kid's soccer game. I got to go to my, my this, my that. Do you think God knows that we have busy lives? you think he knows? That's why I think he gave us, he gave us the Great Commission. As you go, as you are going to the soccer game, as you are going to pizza loving, as you are going to the golf course, as you are going to work, as you are going to the mall, as you are going to the grocery store, make disciples. Use your schedule, which God has given to you, to glorify him. God has given you the job that he's given you. God's given you the neighbors he's given you. God's given you the family that he's given you. Use it for his glory. Now, sometimes that might be creating extra rhythms to your schedule. Someone wants to read the Bible with you, and the only time that they can do it is when they get off work at 5 o'clock, and you've got a wife and, and child, and you want to go home and have dinner with them, and you know, spend some time with them, and it's like, so sometimes you're going to need to make those additions, but I think most of the time we can just use the schedule that God has already given to us. So you're like, okay, you got the schedule down, right? You got time, okay, I know I'm, I'm supposed to be reconciled. 
I am reconciled. That makes me an ambassador. God's the one who does the saving. This is the message of reconciliation. And it's like, okay, yeah, but, oh, man, it's still a lot. I can't do this by myself. I can't do it by myself. Like, that's intimidating. Reading the Bible with someone by myself? Oh, yikes. What if I don't know all the questions to the answers? Yep. You're like, what? I did that just to make sure you were tracking. Those of you dozing off, you're like, you don't have to have the answers to all of their questions. And again, that's, I think, why Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I am with you always. Christ is with us always. How is Christ with us? You said Christ is in heaven. Well, Christ's spirit dwells within us. The spirit is God himself within us. We are his temple as we heard that. So the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Think about that. The same spirit that brought life back into Jesus' body. The same spirit that rose him from the dead is in you. Man, what else do we need? Right? What else do we need? Oh, but also we have what? His word. God's holy word. God breathed word. And just if that wasn't enough, I told you, God doesn't just, you know, seal the deal. He goes above and beyond. So if his spirit wasn't enough for you, if his word isn't enough for you, what about his body or his church? God has given to us, believers, the message of reconciliation. So other people can pray with us. Other can, people can invest with us. Other people can invite with us. That's why it's our church's outreach strategy. It's why our church family's outreach strategy, because we do it together. Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, right? He didn't just send the animals two by two. He sent, he sent the disciples as well. Well, he can send us, we can send us more than two by two. Three by three, four by four, 12 by 12. I'm talking community groups there. We can work together in accomplishing God's mission for us. We can encourage one another when we need the encouragement. Hey, you, I think you blew an opportunity to share the gospel there. Ah, yeah, you're right. Well, what could I have done better? Well, you probably could have just said, hey, praise the Lord. Or hey, I'm praying for you. We, we learn and we grow in community. So to summarize, the second message. The source of reconciliation, the source of our reconciliation is God. All this is from God. The message of reconciliation is that God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And the agents that he uses, Ace and I were talking about this this morning, God doesn't need to use us. God could make a Bible show up on somebody's coffee table 
and orchestrate things in their life to get them to like, hey, I'm going to read the Bible. And they open it up and boom, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, they start reading it. God opens their eyes and saves them right there. He could do that. He can. He does. But he also allows us the opportunity to give that message. He chooses to use it. And one of the things I think he chooses to use, and they talk about this in the discipling class, because there's, I'm going to say it, there's joy. Oh, oh, I said it. I said it. Joy. There's joy. There's joy. There is joy. Were you joyful that moment when you realized that you were going to stand before God and your sins were not going to be counted against you? Man, sometimes I count my sins against me. And I got to say, no, 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 no. God views me as Christ. There's joy when we know what it is to fear the Lord. And there's joy when we get to see God work in someone who is struggling with that. There is joy In his presence, there is joy evermore. He wants us to experience the joy of him reconciling another person to himself. Joy. The means. The means of reconciliation. I'm going to read it one more time because it's so good. If I can find it. Don't close your Bible while you're preaching. Side note. All right, I'm going to go from memory. Okay, so God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. God made Christ who had no sin, sin for us, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ. God made it. Christ made it possible, and the Spirit secures us. All of the Godhead is involved in that, and it's just an amazing thing. That's the means of reconciliation. So again, I'm going to say, there are some people here who, who may not, you may not be reconciled to God. You may like, hey, I, if I were to stand before Jesus right now, I think he would count my sins against me. Because I have not heard this message of reconciliation. I have not seen God in this way. I have not experienced God like this. And so again, I'm going to say with what Paul said, be reconciled to God. We are so glad that you're here, but be reconciled to God because it's possible. I don't know what brought you in this morning. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you were driving alongside of the road and you saw a church and you're like, I haven't been to church in 18 years. I'm going to waltz, waltz in. Please be reconciled to God because it's the best decision that you could ever make in your whole entire life. Be reconciled. And for those of us who are reconciled, let us never lose the joy of our salvation. Let us never lose the wonder of the Lord. Let us, as Isaiah would say, when we saw the Lord in all of his glory and splendor, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And the angel took the coal from the fire, from the altar, pressed on his mouth, cleansing him. And when he realized what God had done for him, reconciled him to himself, his natural, logical response was to God's question, who will go? 
Who will go? Who will share the message? And Isaiah, and I would recommend that all of us would say that, here I am, Lord, send me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Wow, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us your word, that you've revealed yourself to us, and you've revealed yourself the the plan and the ministry of reconciliation, that God, you were not counting our sins against us like we deserved, but you counted them to Christ, that you've imputed them, you placed them on Christ, and he paid the punishment. By his wounds we are healed. Lord, we were like sheep without a shepherd, and you came and sought us out. You came and reconciled us to yourself through Christ, And Lord, you just didn't save us. You just didn't love us. Lord, you did so much more. You loved us and saved us and gave us the opportunity to send that message to a lost and dying world. Lord, help us to not view them in a worldly way. Lord, the old is gone. The new has come. Help us to view people the way you view them. Help us to view Christ the way you view him. Help us to view our lives not to live for ourselves, but to you who died and gave yourself up for us. Lord, I pray that we would have the joy and the privilege of sharing this message to a world that needs hope.